So uh, we're, we're not really doing a series right now. Um, today I'm speaking on Jesus is the bread of life, asking the question, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Because we're not always hungry for the right things. Uh, not exactly a series, but you can sort of see a pattern from a couple weeks ago. Pastor Josh was talking in, um, in um, Jeremiah from about 586 B.C. before Jesus. Uh, the Jews have been cast out of their homeland. Uh, they've been ripped from their homeland, uh, especially the upper-class kids were taken and uh, taken to Babylon, and Daniel was one of them. And there's all kinds of people saying, oh, God's not going to desert us. God's going to deliver us. This is only going to be short. We're going to be back home real quick. And Jeremiah says, nope, unpack, build houses, get married. Your kids are going to get married here. You're here for the long haul. They had been unfaithful to God's truth while they were in, in Israel, and God was sending them through a period of growth and trial. But he says in Jeremiah, often taken out of context, I have a I have a plan, I have a hope for you. It's not because, um, not because he was down on them that they were in, in captivity. He was actually preparing them for something greater. And so sometimes the peace that we seek isn't the peace that God ordains. And just like sometimes the food we seek isn't the food that God would provide. Then last week, uh, uh, Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Because sometimes our understanding is wrong. Sometimes our understanding gets us messed up. Sometimes our understanding is based on the woundedness we're coming out of. And so we have to rely on God. Likewise um, with food. God is providing our daily food. What are you hungry for? Because sometimes we're hungry for the wrong things. It's interesting, uh, there's these bread scriptures... Uh, talking about bread, I re- really got the idea from a friend of mine. I said, what should I preach on? He says, how about uh, give us this day our daily bread, uh, which is interesting. Uh, so that's what I've been focused on for a couple weeks now. And um, probably the hungriest I've ever been during her sermon preparation was for this uh, business. Because every time I'm thinking about bread, I'm thinking about all the kinds of bread I like. And there's lots of kinds of bread. The older I get, the more I like. Actually, I used to, as a, as a kid, you know, just that white bread. If you If you grew up in the 60s, you know, it was pretty much nothing, right? I mean, they talked about all the stuff they added to it because all the stuff they took out of it. But it was, it was just nothing bread. But now we have substantive bread. I like substantive bread. I like even rye bread, something. Um, and then thinking about the scripture, there's a lot of talk about bread. And one of, the, one of the first ones that came to mind was Jesus in the wilderness being tempted after 40 days of fasting, going without food and water. He is pretty hungry and he is tempted by Satan to turn these rocks into bread, which he refuses to do, by the way. More on that later. Uh, Jesus has a lot of power with bread, but he doesn't see his father turning rocks into bread, so he doesn't either. Um, Jesus um, also, with his disciples, uh, he's teaching them in the Sermon on the Mount about daily provision because this idea of daily bread, this is going to be, again, a repeating thing, like food is a repeating thing. He says... Trust in God to, to provide for you every day. And in that prayer that he gives us to pray, a model prayer, give us today our daily bread. He's not going to give you tomorrow's bread necessarily today. He's not going to give you, and that, that can be metaphorically because you probably have plenty of food for tomorrow. Um, but he's not going to give you the courage 
tomorrow, today that you need for tomorrow. He'll give that to you tomorrow, maybe. So, matter of fact, um, one of my friends asked me on Thursday, she said, so are you all ready for Sunday? I said, no, I'm not ready for Sunday. It's not Sunday. I don't need to be ready for Sunday. I mean, I'm, you know, doing my preparation. I don't want to mention my daughter-in-law, Katie, by name, but I, I don't want to. <laughs> She's the red one, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I've been doing my preparation, but I don't need to be ready until the day. God sometimes is not going to be providing the courage you need, the strength you need, the inspiration you need until you actually need it. And, uh, and some of my friends, um, uh, sometimes it's like, I barely made it through today. But you made it through today, right? Not every day is going to be a, a shining star, but you made it through today. You, you made it through. Uh, a lot of this bread stuff goes back to 1,500 years before Jesus uh, when God feeds the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, another time with Jesus, after, after he talks about give us this day our daily bread to, and providing our daily needs, the disciples are wandering through some fields on their way to, from point A to point B, and they start doing some incidental harvesting of grain, which is allowed in the law, and because they're hungry, they need to eat, and Jesus knows this, and they get criticized because they're harvesting, but they're really not really harvesting. It's not like they've got their John Deere tractor out there. They're just picking a few things off to eat, and, um, and, and Jesus knows his people need to eat, and, and he knows these physical things. Now, in, in the miracle we're going to talk about, Jesus never leaves it there because it's, it, there's something much deeper than the physical truth, than the physical truth of bread. See, I'm already getting hungry because now it's lunchtime. And then there's other times in uh, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, uh, that's, that's really about water. But before he has that interaction, the disciples have gone off to town and, and to, buy, to buy bread, to buy sandwiches. And it's sort of funny because they come back with the bread and they're thinking, Jesus, here, what do you want? want some eat? And Jesus is thinking, no, it's not about that. It's not that he doesn't need to eat, but he says it's not about the food. It's not about the sandwiches. It's about doing God's work. That's what really, that's what really feeds me. Um, and then when the disciples are commissioned, they're sent out in groups of uh, uh, six groups of two each. They're not sent with food. They're, which you know, when I go on a hike, I take food with me. Uh, they're not sent with food. They're, they're told not to take food because they're going to be provided for. Uh, we don't know exactly how they were provided for, but we will know they, we know they were provided for. Then the feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000, we'll talk about that some in greater detail in a bit. This ultimately leads to the Lord's Supper where, um, where Jesus is our, where the, um, his body is, is true food and his blood is to drink. <clears throat> and the last words that Jesus personally speaks to Peter the shores of Galilee, before, just before his ascension into heaven, he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Now, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a straight-A student <clears throat> to know that when the teacher says something three times, he means it, and, and Jesus means it. Now, all these bread facts, it's, it's interesting because bread isn't, like, isn't a, a critical part of us nowadays like it, like it once was. I mean, we have more options because of our, because of our affluence. We can we can buy a, a wider range of food because of uh, transportation nowadays. We can have food shipped in if we already didn't live in a great place to grow things. Um, and, but then, so we have options other than bread. Some people, of course, uh, bread's a serious issue for them because it's a it's a gluten allergy that 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 really messes up their body if they eat it. But back in the first century, it was all about the bread. 70% of their calories 
That's a lot. 70% of their calories come from grain. That adds up. That's uh, 550 pounds per person. That's about a, a pound and a half per person per day. 550 pounds per year, 500, uh, 1.5 pounds per day. And they eat bread w- with everything. It, bread without a meal wouldn't be a meal. Bread becomes so um, common for them that it's essentially synonymous with food. To say bread is the same thing as saying food. Um, they a lot of times don't, I don't even know if they had plates, but a lot of times they don't use plates. They use, they use bread as plates. And uh, I was reminded when I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago, they're still doing that. They take pita and they slice the pita in the middle and then they stuff in their meat and their vegetables and their sauce and pickles and every other kind of thing and they eat it. So it's, and, and, and probably, probably like the first century still now, it's not just about the meal. It's a, it's an appetizer. They have, they have pita chips, they have everything. So for, for Jesus to use this kind of metaphor, he's right in their wheelhouse. They, they, they really get the whole bread thing. When he talks about daily bread, they get it. Because we know from nutritionists, it's like um, you're not supposed to eat once a week. See, if you're being spiritually, well, actually, I'm not even hoping to feed you today. I'm hoping to make you hungry. Because if you're coming here for sun, uh, Sunday for one meal a, a week, yeah, uh, try translating that into your physical side. Try eating, uh, say, 14,000 calories in one meal once a week. Yeah, not actually your body can't even metabolize that, but it wouldn't be healthy even if it could. Jesus uses this idea of daily bread because, because he knows how often we need him. And it's not even just, it's certainly more than weekly, and it's not just even daily. You, it's generally, unless you're doing some kind of, Special fasting, you're not even supposed to be eating one meal a day, multiple meals a day. I learned from my, uh, my, in my nutrition course that you're supposed to be eating uh, three meals a day is good, but even m- smaller meals more throughout the day that are, that are nutritious. This is what feeds your body good. Think of it in terms of that. That's how Jesus wants us to think about being fed. And we know, by the way, food doesn't satisfy. One of the things, unfortunate truths, when you travel the world, you find out um, just how fat we are as a people. There's a lot of obesity you see in this country that you do not see walking the streets of Paris or Jerusalem or London. It's, it's because I'm convinced we're looking for food to feed a need that was never intended to feed. And look at uh, if if you ever um, and in fact like fasting uh, I, I don't fast a lot anymore but, but people that fast typically it's not to prove they don't need to eat it's it's to focus their attention it's also to remind them every time they get hungry that's how hungry they should be for God every time you're eating you should be partaking of something from God not necessarily always in deep Bible study or deep prayer but always thinking of God as 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 completely part of you and you completely part of him and um that food doesn't satisfy and this is the point that jesus is going to make in in this um in this story today this the food doesn't satisfy now it's interesting because i think about um back in the day when i was when i was a kid my dad accused me of being an escape eater now he wasn't exactly um well, he wasn't exactly practicing what he preached, but he saw in me, he knew that I was eating, not because I was hungry, but because I was bored. And that's just not a good motivation. If you're hungry, you know, eat and eat the right things, but not because you're bored. And, uh, and, and some of my kids, they would, um, 
they would get bored. I would see the same behavior repeat. It's funny. So they would, they would what I call, cruise the refrigerator. They always go over, open the doors of the refrigerator. Now, they never saw anything they wanted to eat. There's stuff they could eat, but never something they wanted to eat. They'd cruise the refrigerator, and then particularly my oldest son would go off and you know, have, a, have a bowl full of sugar or something. But, it, but they were looking for something, and we as humans tend to look for something that, that physical nutrients aren't going to meet. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So um, I'm going to read a story here. It's the story of um, feeding of the 5,000. It's an interesting story because it's, it's one of the few besides the arrest, um, uh, death, resur- and resurrection of Jesus. It's one of the few stories that's in all four Gospels. So the fact that we get it four times from four different perspectives can tell you how important it is. After these, uh, this is from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And the large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went on the mount, up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may, people may eat? He said that to test him, for he himself knew that he would, what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's, a, that's about eight months' worth of wages, I think about $30,000. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many? As a footnote in the Bible, um, Simon Peter, I mean, uh, Andrew only does two things really, I think, that are ever of note. One is to bring Peter to Jesus, and the other is to bring this boy's resources to Jesus. So I guess those are two pretty important things. So one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who came into the world. Now this is interesting. Let me give you a little background of the story. Uh, it, it comes through in some of the other stories in, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Jesus has sent, the, just before this story, Jesus has sent the disciples off. Again, in those groups of two, six groups of two, he sent them off to heal the sick and to cast out demons. He says, don't take, don't take two coats, don't just take one staff, don't take extra bread, don't take extra food, don't take extra money, you're going to be provided for proclaim the gospel, proclaim that the kingdom of God has come. And that's what they go. They go and do it. Guess what? They're massively successful. So all these people that they've gone out to these villages have all come back, and now they're with Jesus. And they, and they listen to Jesus' teaching. And then they get hungry. And then the disciples say, in, in the other accounts in Luke, send them away. Get rid of all these hungry people, Jesus. What are we going to do? And Jesus sees the need that they either don't see or don't want to see. 
They, they, they brought these people. That's cool. But these people, like, God, stop sending me all these needy people. Let's, let's get, get rid of them. Send them away. Now, Jesus, Jesus, again, he sees the need that they don't see. He wants to meet the need that they want to ignore. And so he says, what are we, how are we going to get bread? Now, if, if John gives us a detail the other passages don't give us, and that that it's Passover time. Well, if you've been in Israel in Passover, you know they've gotten rid of all the bread. There's no bread to be had. Today, if you go to Israel, uh, you go to a grocery store during Passover, that grocery store is fully functional, except the bread aisle. The bread's been all removed, and, and that's not good enough. They've got to cover the, sh- the, the shelves of bread where it would have been. They, got, they take no chances. So there's a couple of logistical problems. Number one is these guys don't have $30,000. That's, that's roughly 100,000 shekels laying around to feed these people. And even if they did, there's no place to buy it. So Jesus is setting this all up because he knows where he's going with it. And it, again, and he knows where he's going with it, but it's not about the physical food. Jesus is going to take this farther because the miracle of, of, of the food is great, but miracles never, ever satisfy. Miracles always leave us wanting something else. And that's not because the miracles aren't great or God isn't wonderful in his miracles. It's because we have short memories. It's like, and we'll see that in this story. We'll see this in other stories. It's like a miracle is done, and then the next day it's like, okay, God, what have you, what have you done for me lately? No, it's not about the miracle. Jesus is moving them from the miraculous. He's not leaving them with the miraculous. He's getting their attention with the miraculous. Now, the miracles do a couple things. The miracles of Jesus, but uh, Jesus didn't come to do miracles. Jesus didn't come to be a great teacher. He did that. Jesus came to live and die and be a sacrifice so that we can live forever. That's the reason Jesus came. Now, the, the teachings are important. The miracles are important. The miracles are important for a couple of reasons. Number one, they validate the teaching. So the miracles themselves don't prove he's God, but when he says he's God and then he has the power to do these miracles, it validates that. Miracles also um, set the tone. When Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, he heals the blind. He, he raises the dead. He gets the, the lame to walk. He deals someone with leprosy, which is not just considered a disease, but like a spiritual illness, a spiritual curse, he touches these people and heals them. When he does that, he sets the bar for what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. So if you wondered what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, it's supposed to look like this. People aren't blind. People aren't hurting. People aren't demon-possessed, whether it's a a spiritual demon or demons of their own making. People aren't addicted. People aren't wounded. People aren't dying of starvation. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, and Jesus sets that bar. But he doesn't leave it with the miracles. C.S. Lewis says, and and the miracles, by the way, aren't random. C.S. Lewis said, I read this years ago in his essay on miracles. He says, miracles are are an example on a small scale of what God does on a large scale. I had to read that a couple times before I realized C.S. Lewis didn't get it wrong. Miracles illustrate on a small scale what God does on a large scale. Because I'm thinking, I don't know, feeding, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves sounds pretty big deal to me. But it's not big when you compare to what God does every day. Not just 2,000 years ago, but every day in the, in the wheat fields and barley fields across the world, the corn fields. When he turns a little bit 
of food into a lot of food. In the oceans of the world, if, if we don't kill them first, where he turns a, a few fish into enough fish to feel the, feed the entire globe. Miracles are a small scale of what God does on a large scale because God never wants to leave you in that miracle. Now, now if, you've, if you've been like me, you've, you've seen miracles, you've experienced miracles, they're still happening. Sometimes they're as dramatic as, as the ones Jesus did. Mostly they aren't. Mostly they're just personal. But the miracles always point you somewhere. The miracles aren't where you're supposed to be left. And it's interesting, these disciples, who are definitely heavily blessed by Jesus, no question, these, these average guys become world changers, and yet it's not about him pouring his love out on them exclusively. It's about them blessing other people. So when he does this feeding of 5,000, by the way, in case you didn't know, he doesn't feed the 5,000. I said this once at men's group. They said, what do you mean? I said, I mean, Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000. What do you mean? I said, Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make it very clear. Jesus takes that bread. He ha- First of all, he has the guys sit down in groups of 50. It's, uh, it's a pattern set down in the Old Testament, in case you didn't know. Fit, sit down in groups of 50. That's manageable. Then he, then he takes the bread, whatever he does with it, and he gives it to the disciples. He gives the fish to the disciples. They give it to the people. The disciples are the ones that are going to be feeding the people. We're still feeding the people of God. See, God, didn't, God doesn't give us miracles, doesn't give us blessings just because he loves us, which he does, but he gives us so that we can not just be a recipient of God's truth, of God's blessing, of God's healing, that we can be a recipient, I mean, not just a recipient, but, but a, a, a catalyst, a, a channel of God's miracles to other people. It's about me, but it's not just about me. It doesn't end here. It ends with the people that I can share with. And that's how, he, that's how he's teaching the disciples, because guess what? He's not going to be around much longer. He's going to be dying and resurrecting and, and getting a little more teaching than ascending into heaven. And then the job of teaching his teaching to the entire world, which we're still doing, uh, Pastor Josh, still in Cuba, um, that's still happening. We're, st- we're still doing that. So, but Jesus, again, Jesus is not going to leave it with this miracle, because it's more, more than just this miracle. And uh, so Jesus sees the miracle. He can do it. He knows it for some, one reason. Number one, again, he doesn't see his father. Look in, look in um, nature. You do not see rocks being turned into bread, but you do see a little bit of bread being turned into a lot of bread. So that's why Jesus knows it. He, he sees the precedent in history, in, in nature, and he sees the precedent in history. And the precedent in history is 1,500 years before that, the um, manna with the children of Israel. Uh, this may be ancient history to us, but even though it was 1,500 years before, it was not ancient history to the uh, Jews listening to Jesus. It was fresh in their mind, fresh of their part of their um, cultural history, the feeding of, uh, of 3 million or so Jews that had, had been cast out of Egypt. And this is one of the reasons miracles are so tenuous for us, so unpredictable, not because they aren't real, not because God doesn't care about them, but because we forget. So the children of Israel, in case you don't remember, or you maybe you haven't heard, they were in this awful, oppressive slavery in Egypt. And God delivered them out of that through, through 10 miraculous um, plagues. And then, then, he, then he, once they're backed up against the, the sea and the Egyptian army is going to crush them, he parts the Red Sea. In as far as I know, that's a miracle. It hasn't been 
repeated before or since. He parts the Red Sea. They go, over, they go across on dry land. I don't even know how that's possible. They get on the other side. Their, their enemies are swallowed up when they try to follow him. And now they're safe from their enemies. And a month later, it's like, okay, God, what, what have you done for me lately? So they set out from Elim. This is Exodus chapter 16. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, so it's been one month because they left on the first month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, they're thinking, oh, it was so sweet in Egypt. They've forgotten about the miracles. God's about to do another one. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my way or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought, brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you would grumble against us? So, so here's the thing. Later on, I mean, God knows his people need to eat. He's not upset that they actually need to eat. Um, later on, when they continue to grumble, a couple years later, he's going to get upset about them. But at this point, he understands they're hungry. So he says, I'm going I'm to give you all kinds of quail at night and then in the morning. That's sort of a one-time thing. And then in the morning, you're going to go out and bread's going to be from heaven. God doesn't call it anything. He just says bread from heaven. It's a clear reference now we know to Jesus being the bread from heaven, which Jesus will cover a little bit in, in a few minutes. So they go out. They, I don't know what they do with the quail. I've, I've done birds before. It's, it would be a messy business, but they eat the quail. Then they go out the next morning, and just like dew in the grass, there's this bread from heaven. They don't know what to call it. <clears throat> this is interesting because as I read this for the umpteenth time in preparation for this <clears throat> sermon, I'm thinking, well, I knew this part. They, they go there, they say, they, they don't know what it is. So they say, what is it? In Hebrew, that's manhu. That's how you say, what is it? Chaos in Spanish. Manhu, they say. And that's how, they, that's how we get the name manna. They literally, I mean, they knew God was feeding them. But in the midst of that, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know it was God. Or maybe they didn't know it was God, but still they're saying, what is it? I'm thinking, that's cool because um, here God is blessing them and they don't even know it. What is it? What is it? And I thought, then I thought, because God didn't like, that's not, a, that's historical significance, yeah, but it's more of like life significance for me. It's like, so God's been working in my life. He's been providing for me when I was in a troubled time when I didn't realize it. I was, I was a sickly little baby at uh, three months old. My mother, my mother left me, and that sounds like a tragedy when she came back uh, after a while. But, um, but, but God made sure that I was fed. God made sure that I was in, in the hands of my loving um, paternal grandmother who gave me the care that I needed in, in the midst of that. Uh, later on, when I was 12, I was at the, at the edge of economic collapse in our family. And in 1966, Everybody else was very prosperous. So the fact that we were about to become homeless before we even had a word for homelessness um, 
that was pretty significant. I was uh, on the edge of, of, of emotional devastation. Uh, I was 12, so there was that whole biological explosion that was about to happen. And then there was a social upheaval. And, and uh, the school I was going to, everything was changing. My family was, was in upheaval. Um, if, if you've read your history books, you know 66, the country was in upheaval. So everything was in upheaval. But before that, God was feeding me. Before that, God claimed me. Before that, God made sure that I was connected to him. So the question is, how has God been feeding you and you haven't even realized it? How has God provided you in ways you don't see? So think about that. So these these, uh, children of Israel, they're very, they're missing the point of of, of God's provision. And, and, but the point was never to really provide for them. I mean, yes, to provide for them. But the point was beyond that. And Jesus says this, God says this in Deuteronomy 8.3. What is the reason he really provided for them? Not just because they needed every day, which they do, but it was beyond that. Because God, again, never leaves you just at the point of, uh, of survival. As Moses, at the end of that 40 years, that's a lot of provision, by the way. You think about daily provision. 40 years, every day, days one through six, and then they get a double portion on the sixth day so they don't have to do it on the Sabbath. He didn't provide just just so they could eat. Moses said, and God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this becomes a truth that Jesus shares later on with the, with the apostles, I mean, with, uh, with Satan, when Satan's trying to get him to turn the stones into bread. Uh, no, it's not about the bread. I mean, not that Jesus wasn't hungry, not that Jesus didn't need to eat, but he knew that food would not fuel him at the core of his being. It was the Spirit of God. And so one of the takeaways is to think about When you're in the midst of a trauma or a trial and God is helping you through, he definitely wants to help you through so that you can survive. But it's not just about surviving. It's about thriving and it's about where you're getting your true sustenance, where you're getting your true needs met. And that's not going to come from food. By the way, there's a lot of talk about addiction. Some people are addicted to food. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of negative addictions like drugs or alcohol. But frankly, I think we're all addicted to something. It's not always negative, not always life-threatening, but it's always, it always takes us away from God. That that addiction can look like something good, like education or work or accomplishments or stuff. And a lot of that, a lot of that stuff's good in, 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 you know, in balance in its place, but none of it's going to fill the hole in your soul. None of it's going to fill the hole in your soul. God's done some miraculous things for me. Um, ordinary miracles. I mean, it's not like parting the Red Sea, but but when it was related to stuff, if I had just let it stay at the stuff that he provided, I would have been missing what he's teaching me, that it's not about the stuff, but it's about every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus knows this, so that's why he's not leaving it at the, at the, um, at the feeding of the 5,000. He goes off. Um, okay, so after the, after the feeding... Of the 5,000, some people say, hey, this is hot stuff. This guy has got political moxie. We can really 
turn him into king. We can finally do with the Romans. He, if he can do this with bread, he can definitely defeat the Romans. This is all the things they're thinking. Jesus knows that's not right, and the time isn't right for him to be revealed. So he pulls away, uh, and with his disciples, he um, sends them off on the, uh, across the Sea of, of, of Tiberias, where um, they struggle. He watches them, watches them, watches them, watches them struggle. For nine hours, they're struggling for their life. Finally, he decides to walk on the water, meet them on the other side of the shore, but they see him and they call out, so he, okay, stops and calms the storm. All of that has happened right after the feeding of the 5,000, but these people are, have been watching Jesus, not, not just his disciples, but they've been, but been critics and people that are wondering. They've been watching Jesus, and, and he gets to the other side, and um, they know something's different. They're seeking him for not the right reasons. And they can't figure out how he got there because they know the disciples got in the boat, but he didn't. So the next day, picking it up in John 6, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. That sounds good, except they're seeking him for the wrong reason. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is always funny because he cuts right to the quick of the real question. Yeah, you're not after me because the signs. You're after me because you're hungry again. And he wants to take them so far beyond that. If you're hungry today, God wants to take you so far beyond that. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? I don't know whether this is a serious question or not, but they ask it. Jesus is slowly getting them into the direction of the conversation that he really wants to have with them. What must we do do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Are you serious? They saw him feed 5,000 people the day before. And they're saying, okay, so again, what have you done for me lately, God? This is why Jesus knows the miracles. never about the miracles. The miracles are always a means to an end. They're never the end in themselves. Because already, the next day, they're asking, so what are you going to do for a sign? I, I would sort of, if I were Jesus, I think I'd, I'd say, well, just fed 5,000 people yesterday. Did you miss that one? I mean, it was, it was on Facebook and everything. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. He, 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 because he's, he's not trying to point to the miracle. He's trying to point to beyond the miracle, to the real truth that's there. <laughs> what work do you perform? Now, I don't know what they expected. Maybe they expected... Like, uh, you know, they're, 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 thinking, um, they're thinking about the, the, the feeding of the, the children of Israel in the wilderness 1,500 years before. This is fresh in their cultural mind. They're thinking of that. Um, that was not a, just a one-day miracle. That was every day, six, uh, six days a week for 40 years. That's over 12,000 times. And still, 
It's a one-time miracle. It's, it's 1,500 years in the past. Jesus, um, oh, so th- what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus is getting them closer and closer to where he wants. They don't even realize it. Jesus said, then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave, the bread, gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, that's a very subtle change if you're not a grammatical expert. It's, it's, it's train, changed from past tense. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my Father who gives you bread from heaven because we serve the God of the eternal now. I am that I am. Jesus is here in the here and now to provide your need, not just 1,500 years ago, which is historically accurate and faithfully written and handed down to us, but it's, it's a historical distant history now. Our God feeds us in the, in the now. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you food, gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They say to him, Sir, always give us this bread. Now Jesus has them where he wants them because it's not about the bread and he knows it. But he's using this as a, da- as a metaphor, this dailiness metaphor to get through to them. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. See, Jesus goes from the miraculous. So he talks, he, he does a miracle he, with, the, with this miracle 1,500 years before the manna in their minds. He's taking them, them from the miracle to the transformational. Because the miracle is a point in time and it's a great thing. But the transformational changes you forever. And that's where, he, that's where he takes it. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we never need to eat or that we never need to drink stuff. He's saying that the true heart of us will only be met by his spirit. But I, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus keeps repeating this, repeating this, repeating this. Again, when the teacher tells you three times, when the teacher tells you six times, when the teacher tells you eight times, he's trying to get that message through. Six times he says, I am the bread of life, directly. Two times he infers it. Eight times he says, this is about eternal life. It's not about surviving to your next meal. It's about eternal life. Now, it starts now, life to the full and forever. So how do they respond? Not good. So the Jews grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of hev- bread that came down from heaven. See, people are still grumbling about Jesus being the bread that came down from heaven. And we should be just glad that there is bread from heaven, not just for one time, but forever. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? I love this because I was reading it and connecting it with, uh, and preparing and connecting it with Exodus 16, where it was, what is it to who is he? 
So now we, now we have, at first, it, when the bread from heaven came down in 1500 BC, it's like, what is it? Now, the bread from heaven had come down, and they're thinking, who is he? Who's he to be the bread of heaven? So um, people are still saying that, by the way, still, still saying, who is Jesus? I mean, why is he all that, and why is he the bread of heaven? Again, we should just be glad there's bread from heaven. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes believes has eternal life. Jesus, again, he keeps reiterating this because it's not about surviving just for this day. It's about surviving and thriving forever. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And they died. They still died. Those great miracles, day after day, 12,480 days, they still died because it wasn't about that point-in-time miracle. It was about the living bread that Jesus is for us. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Of course, Jesus will continue to build on that. He'll talk about how his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. And it's a metaphor, obviously, that, that, that is ultimately expressed in in the Lord's Supper, in communion, that we're still celebrating 2,000 years later because Jesus is still feeding us. He's still our life. But Jesus moves from this miracle, the historical miracle and, and the miracle from the day before. He moves from that to the transformation because Jesus was never about the miracle. He was about the transformation. He wasn't about the teachings. Teachings are important. Teachings are great. But he was about the transformation. That's what is still causing so much problem. What happens here? So, so um, in, in the largest, as far as I know, the largest falling away from Jesus, a lot of disciples say, basically they're saying those teachings were cool, those miracles were cool, but this teaching about him being the bread of life, his flesh being true food, yeah, no. And they walked away. And those that were left, like Peter and the, and, and the others, the, the, at least the 12, Jesus says to them, so are you, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter, in a ringing endorsement of faint enthusiasm, says, well, where could we go? Like, we would go somewhere else, but we can't. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is still the bread of life. Jesus is still taking us from the daily miracle where he's providing for us. Most of the miracles, by the way, we uh, take for granted. I mean, you might know about a, a, a brush with a crazy driver, maybe the, the person sitting next to you um, on the way to church this morning. You may know about that brush with death. Or, you, or there may be brushes of death that you don't know about. There's lots of miracles that God has done to provide for us that we don't know about. But it's not just about the miracle. It's not just about that point in time. It's about him being the bread of life. Think of how often you eat or want to eat. Think about how often you need to engage with God spiritually, mentally. Again, that's not always focused 
Bible reading, I get that. It's not always focused praying. Sometimes it's just a quick prayer. Sometimes if something comes into your mind, you pray about it. Sometimes it's a change in my schedule. I say, okay, I didn't plan for this, but God helped me to make the most of it. Sometimes it's, it's an unexpected heartbreak or an unexpected blessing. Let Jesus feed you deeply. So if you're not a Christian, if you haven't accepted this, this part of Jesus, accept Jesus. Accept him as your life bread and as your life blood. Don't think, um, don't think of him as like part of a reasonable life. He's an essential part of life. And I mean, when I say accept Jesus, I mean accept him now. It's not like, it's not like abracadabra, certain kind of words. Just ask, just tell Jesus you, you accept him into your heart. You want him to heal you where you're broken, feed you where you're hungry, meet your deepest needs. And if you're already a Christian, keep doing it daily. Multiple times a day. Sometimes, again, that's, those are substantive times. Sometimes they're incidental throughout the day. Develop that communion with God that you have in the physical world with, um, with, with food and with drink and even with air. Like sometimes, sometimes my friends are fr- so f- stressed out from anxiety or worry. I say, just breathe in God, breathe out life. It's just that simple. Just make it, make it like that. Know that God will provide you for you daily now and forever, but it's more than just it's more than just surviving. Know that God will provide for you even when you fall short of where you should be or, or your understanding of him. Seek his courage and direction. You're going to need it. Seek his courage and direction. Just like the disciples, remember, you are not exclusively a recipient of God's love. You are a recipient of God's love, but don't let it end there. Be a channel of God's love to everyone around you. The psalmist David wrote a thousand years before Jesus used this metaphor of being the living water or being the living, being the living bread. David said in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste of God deeply. Let him heal you deeply. Let him meet you deeply. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you care for our daily mundane needs. And I thank you, Jesus, that you don't leave it there. I thank you that you never intended to leave it there. I thank you that you feed us emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, that you have come to be the bread of life for today and every day. May we praise your name forever for that. In Jesus' name, amen.